0: than I do so he'll make me look really bad if he wants to (laughs) but um, I grew up in Watertown Wisconsin and uh, was born at St. Mary's Hospital there in Watertown and uh, family of nine kids so I was one of uh, uh, five boys and four girls and uh, as a as a young person we uh, my dad taught at Maranatha so we didn't have a lot of money and we were always working, doing different jobs. A lot of us worked on farms, and since we were working on the farm, along with that comes trapping, so we did a lot of trapping growing up, and we sold the furs. Um, And um, So this place is really what I consider home to me, Wisconsin, and we we came up here early just so that I could get up in my tree stand and remember fond memories of, of hunting here in Wisconsin and uh, last time we came back, I didn't kill anything. I took a lot of shots, but, you know, five years without practice. This time when I came back, I started target practicing, and I did a little better this year. So um, I just got a doe last week, and I was really thankful for that. But um, So we're going to can the deer meat, and we're going to take it to yap with us. <laughs> so we've done that before, and it's really great because you just – Heat it up, put it on rice, and um, we we share it with the locals. They love it. So, um, but praise the Lord. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, and so my mom and dad um, always took us to church, and we knew a lot of Bible verses. And mom actually paid us to memorize verses. She would give us a nickel if we said a verse. And so we all memorized memorized a lot of verses. And um, she just wanted to get the Bible into our heads. And if if it took giving us a little money, she did it. So um, for spending money, we would, you know, we'd memorize verses. And uh, so God used all of that in my past. I still remember quoting Psalm 19 to my mom. And I still can, you know, say the whole thing. So and many chapters in the Psalms we, we memorized, um, I didn't say Psalm 119, uh, but, uh, yeah, but God used our mom and dad bringing us up um, in the, as the Bible calls it, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, granted, for a while after my dad left Maranatha, um, the kids, we, the boys especially, started getting bitter because... It seemed like God was doing a lot of things against our family, but we—that was our perception, right? Because God is good. Um, and so, as a as a teenager, I began to rebel, and I went through a period of rebellion in my life, and just basically didn't want anything to do with with Christians. And it lasted about a year, and then God had a way of spanking me a little bit and bringing me back, and. Um, just thankful for the fact that God never gives up on anybody when somebody is, even if, think about this, as your little children, sometimes they might even shake their little fist at you and say, I hate you. You know, I've I've seen my children do that, and I probably did that to my dad. Doesn't make me hate my child, I, I love him even more, and I try to explain to him that I love you, even though you hate, you say you hate me, but I love you, and you don't really mean that because you don't really know who I am if you say that. And that's, I think, how God looks at us with love, even though many times we say, God, this is your fault. And he says, no, uh, I love you. And think about Jesus and his sacrifice for us, even though people like you and me nailed him to the cross, tore out his beard and spit on him and cursed him. And his very own disciples um, said, I don't know who that is. But I, if I could see Jesus today on the cross, I don't think it was a look of anger when he looked out at Peter. I think he was saying, I still love you. And so, um, just that, when we think of the love of God, it draws us back. And I remember the thought that came into my mind when I gave my heart to the Lord completely. And the thought was, God still loves me even though I've done all of these wrong things against Him and His people. And He can still use me. So, I went to a Christian college, got out of college. I was a marketing uh, major in college, so I started a business, and it was a roofing business. And um, it was down in South Carolina, And so I worked at that business for uh, about six or seven years and then one day God gave me the thought that I had been working for myself and that it was time to work for Him. And so I was memorizing some verses in 2 Timothy, came across the verse that said, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And... um, I just felt like that God was talking to me. And so I surrendered to whatever God wanted me to do. And in my life, it was surrendering to the call to preach. And so I went um, to my pastor and told him about it. Next church service, I came forward and told the church that I felt like God was wanted me to switch my occupation. And But luckily, one of my brothers... The one, the lowest, the the small, uh, youngest brother, not the lowest, (laughs) the small, uh, the youngest brother, um, was also looking for a job, and I came to him and I said, Dave, um, I think you ought to consider taking the roofing business because we could keep it in the family. And uh, Dave had told me earlier he was never going to roof again because. We lost, somebody had put in our roofing jacks and they nailed it into the plywood instead of into the truss. And me and Dave were on the jacks and it was on a 12-12, if you know what that is. So a steep roof. Boards pulled out. Dave hugged the chimney and I rode it down to the, to the bottom cowcatcher. And thankfully, that one was nailed in right and I stayed on the roof. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> but so Dave said, I'll never roof again. And he got off the house. And, but God... God uh, had a plan for him, and Dave ended up taking over the roofing business, and um, I went off to seminary and got a master's in religious education. And then I didn't know exactly what God wanted me to do, but he opened a door for me to preach at a church in North Carolina um, while the pastor was undergoing surgery and had uh, bypass surgery. And so we were there for a year, and then Camp Shattuck. Um, contacted us about coming up and being the representative for the camp, kind of like a a staff evangelist. And so we did that for about two years, and from there, God called us to YAP. And we've been in YAP since 2004, and uh, it's been really neat to see what God has done. Now, I always, growing up, I see missionaries come to church, and I always thought, to me, because I love the outdoors and you know, I just I would like to play sports. I like to do things like that. And I thought, you know, being a missionary would be boring. Have you ever thought that? Be honest. Have you ever thought that, kids? Have you ever thought that being a missionary would be boring? Have you thought that? Okay, yeah, I'm, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Trust me. <laughs> well, I thought, you know, it would be boring to be a missionary. But what I was, what I realized when I went to the mission field is it is exciting. And one thing that's exciting is God doesn't make you give up things that you're good at and that you love. He's not going to make you give that up. Now, I had to give up hunting, okay? Deer hunting, because we don't have deer. So (laughs) bow hunting, I can't do that. But you know what I can hunt? I can hunt a lot of fish in the ocean. And you know what? I can even hold a gun, a spear gun, and swim under the water and shoot fish. So God said, you give up deer hunting for a little while and I'll give you spear fishing. It's just as fun. <laughs> and uh, I thought, man, I don't, I'll never be able to catch another salmon again down in, at Port Washington because that's where me and John always used to go fishing. And I love catching salmon. But God said, you give up salmon and I'll give you a marlin in its place. So <laughs> I'm telling you, it's really true. I love to work with my hands and um, I did some woodworking. And when I went to Yap, God allowed us to have two sawmills. And uh, so I've got any woods that I want to work with are available to us. I can do mahogany, teak wood, rosewood, um, you name it. Tropical hardwoods, we have them. And so um, we actually use our sawmills to reach people. And what we do with that is the Yapis are very... Um, village oriented and one village is not allowed to go to another village if someone from this village wanders into that village automatically the chief is notified and the people come out and they they'll attack they'll you know, get them tie them up and they'll call the village next door and say come and get so-and-so because there you, you just can't go knocking on doors and yap so you have to get creative how am I going to meet people and tell them about Jesus because after all, that's what missions is. It's pray, meet people, and tell them about Jesus. Those three things. If you can do that, you can be a missionary. Say, well, that's not what I do. That's what you're paid to do. No, that's, I think that's what God wants us all to do. To pray, meet people, and then tell them about Jesus. So how do you meet people? Maybe at work. Okay, So you become their friend, and then you look for an opportunity to share Christ with them. And they're watching you. So, But in Yap, the one way we can meet people is everybody needs wood to build projects because everybody uh, there um, has houses that you know always need work because they're very primitive people and they've never had boards so if there's a guy with a sawmill and they've got trees of course they're going to want you to mill their wood so what we do is we um, we split the wood with them they give us half of, of the wood we give them the other half as we're milling, they'll take a board, we'll take a board. So everything comes off evenly. And uh, we provide the fuel and the labor and the equipment to do it. And that gives us wood to build our projects for the ministry, and it gives them wood, and so it's a it's you know, it's a happy uh, a happy deal for them and a good deal for us. But not only that, before we start And look at verse 35 with me, Matthew 9:35, the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Um, in this passage, I found the theme um, that uh, the theme for mission. A vision for missions is found in this passage, and um, I found this true in the life of Christ in reading through the Gospels and watching how Jesus, how he worked with people. Um, We find it in this passage. We find it all woven all the way throughout the Bible, and the first point that I would like to bring out about a vision for missions is that it takes a burden. It takes a burden. What is a burden? Well, a burden has to come from God. A burden is not something that I can force myself to get a burden. I'm going to get a burden about this. Um, A burden is a realization that, in this particular case, someone needed help, and there was a desire to meet that need, and it's got to come from God because a burden that doesn't come from God, like I've heard a missionary say, I went there and I fell in love with people. Okay, well, that's good, but that's not enough to keep you in place for years. Place. People, have doing you wrong. people are going to stab you in the back. And you've given all of your time and your energy. You've done so much for them. And they look at you, and the next day, healed them and they turned around and never gave him thanks they left they said ah uh, you know we got what we needed and they left but it takes a burden from God if someone a people group your friends, your relatives, your family you've got to get a burden for them and you've got to ask God for that burden Jesus had this burden Matthew fourteen fourteen. look at this Matthew 14, 14 it says, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Okay, He had a burden. Back in our text in Matthew 9, 35, he was healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Why was he doing that? Just so because he felt just because um, he, he, he wanted to make them feel better? No, he wanted he cared about their souls. He had a burden for their souls because he knew that when they pass from life unto death, if they don't believe in Jesus, then they're going to spend eternity in hell. So this burden that we have must come from God. And, and it must move us to compassion as it did with Jesus. Mark 141, it says, Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said, I will be thou clean. Jesus, seeing someone had a need, he reached out to that person and he did it so that that person would know that his sins can be forgiven. Okay? This burden should not only move us to compassion, but it should motivate us to action. And we are, we, it's one thing to, to just see a need and, and feel sorry for someone and say, no. "Wow, I have compassion on that person. I wish I could do something." To help. But the next step is, "Boy, that person has a real need. I'm gonna do something to help." And when we're when we're motivated to action, that's when something is gonna happen. But until that point, it's just it's just smoke coming out of our mouth. It's nothing. Second Chronicles thirty six fifteen. The Lord God of their fathers sent to them by His messengers, rising up continually and sending, because He had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place. He's looking at these people, and so He, it says, He rose up continually. He sent prophets. He sent men who could who could teach them the gospel, so that they could be saved from their 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 sins. And today, God is doing that all around the world, and He continues to care about people, and He's motivated to action. He's sending pastors, missionaries, prophets. Well, we'll we'll, we'll skip prophets, okay? But He's sending people. In in Yap, we have actually we have the Mormons. Okay, so uh, you know what I'm saying. Jesus called his disciples unto him and he said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue now with me three days and have nothing to eat. I will not send them away fasting. I will not send them away hungry lest they faint in the way. So, I totally agree with, with, with projects that go out for goodwill of help people. But, it's not just enough to feed the hungry. We've got to meet their spiritual needs by li- leading them to Jesus. Isn't that... See, we have a lot of pe- on TV, you see this little boy crying, and he's got a real need. But feeding him is not going to really do what we need to do. It's it's We need to take it one step further, okay? Where we live in Yap, Diane is always trying to help people. She's, she gives out medicine so that like, they don't have Tylenol. There. So if they're a little babies, um, they'll come to Diane and they'll say, hey, do you have any children's Tylenol or something for the baby? Because Diana has told them, this is how you get the fever down. In their culture, for years, for centuries, they've made water hot. they boiled it, and then when the water is boiling, they put water under a blanket, and uh, then they put the little child under the blanket so that the steam will be in there, and they try to raise the temperature of the the child sweats the fever out. Does that make sense? Well, it's kind of backwards what they need to do, right? And for years they they've been doing that, and the doctors there are saying don't do that anymore, but they're still doing it. And so um, Diane's been trying to educate them and say, hey, there's a better way, you know. <laughs> and so you're going to hurt your child more than ever. Um, she. Uh, she gives them medicine. She makes them gives them food. Sometimes people come to the door and say, we need food. Of course, we're going to help them with physical needs. But our main focus is we have compassion on them because we realize they need Jesus. Okay, So it takes a burden. Second thing is it takes a focus. It takes a focus. And um, in our passage, we see that the need was to gather the sheep. It said he saw the multitude. He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd the need was they need to be gathered and somehow we've got to get them to come so they can hear the gospel so they can so we can share with them the keys to the kingdom because if we don't do it how will they hear and Luke 14:23 the lord said to the servant go into the highways and the hedges And compel them to come in that my house may be filled. And so the need for us as ambassadors of Christ is to compel them. Now, how can we compel them? Well, I used to think when I first went there and I would see people and I'd say, It was kind of a really tense situation when I'm trying to talk to someone and I'm thinking how am I going to do this and then one day somebody came to me and said no, don't test the soil um, before you plant. Your job is to just sow the seed in, in, in a spiritual sense. Your, your job is not to test the soil like say oh you know I, if I, I wonder how this guy's going to receive it. He said no. Just let God do it. He'll give you a chance to share the gospel. And um, we need, to, we need to, to, to use everything that God has given to us with the abilities he's given to us, with the talents, with the, with the desires we have, and use that to compel people to come to Christ. Reach out to people. And the, and the the focus is that we have sheep that need to be gathered, and if we keep that in mind as we're living our lives, we'll be treating people in a way that would bring them to Christ. The goal is once they come to Christ to unite them in the work of the ministry, so that they can go reach people as well. Um, in Yap, we when we Cut a lot when we cut a tree down. Many times, the trees that um, the majority of the trees we cut are mahogany. And sometimes, if the wind is blowing, um, these big trees are—they're you know, about this big around. And if it's been raining for two weeks, the wind is howling, 70, 80 miles an hour. It will push those trees down. And so, a big tree falls down, and somebody calls me up. Hey, we got a tree down. So could you come and cut it up? So I get this big old chainsaw. It's got like a 42-inch chain on it. Husqvarna, and you just, you know, start that thing up. You feel like a real man, and you just, wah. You you go around that tree, you walk around, cut it, you know, two different places just to get through it. And then we get that big old log. It's a big old section, maybe 12 feet long. But in order to set the mill on it, you've got to roll that log over, Otherwise when the mill comes to the, when the blade comes to the end of that twelve foot section, you can't flip it over. So you've got to roll that log out so that it's by itself and then you can set the portable mill on it. It takes about fifteen minutes to set up my mill and I can drive in with a little pickup truck and get on the back of my truck, the whole mill. And I can cut up twenty two feet long. Mm-hmm. I'll show you tonight. But in order to get a log, a huge log, maybe it's maybe it's this fall, okay, all the way to the ground. And you think, how in the world can you roll that log over? And uh, when I first came to Yap, I got a bunch of guys together, gave them all a can't hook, um, can't hooks so or something used use to roll logs and some bars. Gave everybody a tool and said, now we gotta get this log and we need to roll it over one time so I can set the mill up. So we're going to get the bars. Let's go. Okay, on the count of three, we're going to give everything we got. So I'm like, one, two, three. And I'm oh, oh, what's going on? Nobody's, they're working, but I can just see them like this. And I hear them talking to each other and they're going up And I said, Jimmy, what are they saying? And they said, we can't move this log. It's too big. It's too big. We, we can't do it. And I said, okay, James, here's the thing. If you tell them, we can move this log if they give me 100%. I can promise you we'll move the log, but we've got to give 100%. And if everyone gives 100%, we can do it. And so Jimmy said something in their language. Ekemo, ikamane," And that meant give it all you got. And so they get on the log, and then they start chanting this, this little phrase. Ekemo, And then they're like, said And all of a sudden that log rolls over. But it took one person to unite them so that we can roll that log. It's a special person, and it and um, I couldn't do it. I didn't know their language. But this other guy, he just said, Let's let's move it, and everybody did it. And the goal is to unite the sheep together so they can work. In the ministry, and my dad used to say, many hands make light work. And uh, if if a lot of people are doing the job, you say, well, that's why we hired the pastor, so he can do that. No, it's our job. It's all of our job. And that's what I try to tell the the locals. You can reach the people better than I can because they're your people. You can get down with them and, and share their pain and share their burdens and then show them who Jesus is. And that's, that is the goal there, is to unite, to gather. And one person can make all the difference. And um, I've found that to be true over and over again. The key to all of this is prayer. In verse 38, Jesus said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And this little word pray there is um, for all of us. It's you pray. Pray for those that God has given to you so that you can reach them. I've been praying for this guy for as long as we've been there. His name is Manuel Pong. And Pongit Nug is our chief of our village. I met him on some bad terms. I wanted to meet my neighbor I just landed in the app, I sent a uh, uh, 40-foot container um, over the app with all my belongings in it, and put it right in front of the church, and I was in there getting some stuff out, and I came out of my container, and I looked over, and there's there's a lady screaming, and there's a man, and he's stomping on her. She's in the ditch. He's literally trying to kill her. So I went out in the road, and I said, hey, what are you doing? Get off of her. He looks over at me like this. And then he walks to the back of his truck, and he takes the machete. the machete blade is about that long. And he comes over toward me like this. And he goes, Why don't you mind your own business? And he's coming closer and closer to me. And I'm like, put down the machete. Put down the machete. Put down the machete. you know. And he, he, um, he gets pretty close to me. And I'm thinking, I might have to outrun this guy. Um, but as he got closer to me, all of a sudden he just put down his machete, he turned around, and he drove away. And so I went to another guy who I was talking to, the mayor of the village that I was staying in, and I said, I don't know what this guy was doing, but he was going to me. And he said, well, what did you do to him? How did you become his enemy? And I said, well, he was killing his wife, and I told him to get off of her. And he said, well, in our culture, oh, so you don't do that. But the wife belongs to He is, is his possession and he can do whatever he wants to. And the cops, the police won't even break it up. They'll just uh, wait till it's over and then they'll go in and try to help. And I said, well, that's not what the Bible teaches and I can't do that. If a brother sees someone who has a need and doesn't try to help, then he's doing wrong. Well, the next day, I went back to my container and I looked over and I saw someone cutting the grass. I'm going to go meet my neighbor. So I go walk over to him, and I I, I waited. He was cutting the grass. I waited until he looked at me, and then I put up my hand, and he, he looked over at me, and I was like, oh, the same guy that was doing that yesterday. And I was like, uh, hi, my name's Mark, and um, I'm going to be your neighbor, and if you need anything, let me know. And uh, I tried, tried not to use space too much, and uh So I went back to my house and I started thinking, boy, I just blew it, because he's the chief of the village, and uh, I can tell he's already he already hates me. So, um, uh, so over the last uh, about nine and a half years, or whatever it is, nine years, I've been trying to become Manuel's friend, and so I found out in their culture. If you go fishing and you catch a bunch of fish, you give the chief the biggest fish. So respect him, him that you respect him. So I was like, yeah, I can do that. And so I've been doing that over time, and after about three years of doing it, he started talking to me. And then last term, he sent his daughters over to our church to go to uh, Vacation Bible School. And uh, now they're coming to our little Sunday school classes. Manuel has never, gotten saved yet, I'm still praying for him because I, I believe that one day he will save. Um, last term he also um, brought me the keys to his boat and he said if anybody in the village needs the boat, I'm going to tell them to come to you and need to give them the keys. Um, and then he also built us a koyang, uh which is a, it's like a pavilion, it's a local pavilion built that for us, and when he finished building it, he said, I'm going to donate four stone money to your church. But he actually came over with a truck and took these stones out and put them on the corners of that building. And when he did that, the whole village is watching what he did. And so... We have people coming from our own village, which I don't believe it would have happened. Um, Of course, God did the whole thing, but God had strategically um, allowed him um, to work with us and to say, you know what, I'm going to give you something um, as a token of uh, our appreciation for you. So. God uses prayer, and he wants us to pray. And the last thing is, it takes a commitment. It takes a commitment. To be a laborer during the harvest time, it takes commitment. Because all year you've worked, summertime, and it comes down to the end, and it's time to harvest. And nowadays it's not as difficult to harvest, but it's still a lot of work. Um, You don't have to do a lot of uh, gathering up, by hand anymore. Well, some people do, but harvest time is always the busiest time of the year, isn't it? Um, you still got to do everything else that you're doing. Uh, so then sometimes you want to burn the candle on both ends and you stay out late trying to get in the crops. And harvest time is a busy time and it takes a commitment. You can't just drop the ball because you'll lose the crop. So All winter long you've been waiting to plant, and then you plant, and then all summer long you irrigate, you try to take care of the rogues, you weed, and then time to harvest. Um, And it's a lot of work. But Jesus knew that. When he sent out his disciples, he said the harvest is ready to, to be harvested. But he said, we need more help. And uh, you say, well, I, I can't continue to harvest because I'm too discouraged. And discouraging times will come. Because on the field, we have people we've been working with thinking that they're going to do something for God, and then they blow it, and they turn their back on, on God. And they, like I said, they, they treat you as their enemy. There's discouraging times in life. There's a drought in life, there's a time where there's no rain. Doesn't seem like anything's happening, and you say, "Where are you now, God?" It's a drought. We need rain. Why? Why would you do this to us? After all we've done for you. It's not the right way to think, but that's a human nature. That's how we think. In the difficult times, when everything's breaking down, all the equipment's breaking, and you, did, you didn't see the rock in the way, and you miss um, the difficulty of life. Because everybody has problems, and in dangerous situations, farming is dangerous. Gathering the crops, and we hear all the time about people getting killed. Well, the mission field is also can be da- it can be very dangerous, and life itself can be dangerous. But over a hundred times in the Bible, God tells us, "I will be with you. I will be with you." Jesus knew exactly what you and I were going to go through in our life. And he said, I'll be with you. This commitment takes God's power. It's not our power. It's not our strength. I realized how weak I really am. As soon as I got dengue fever, you know, or I got a boil on my head and shut me down, (laughs) head swelled up, got a fever, and I'm laying there thinking, wow, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. You know, F.B. Meyer said, after all, it's not so much what we do for God that counts as it is what we let God do for us. It's not by my strength because he's the source of power. He's the source of revival. He's the source of hope. And without this hope that we have in Christ, we're going to waste a lot of time. And so God wants us to realize He has the power to cast out unclean spirits. He has the power to heal. And then he says all manner of sickness. Any sickness there is, he can heal it. If if it's his will, any manner of disease. But I think the most beautiful thing that I've seen God do is heal the heart of a person where their attitude changes in life. And they they turn their eyes to the Lord. And so um, that is just a little glimpse into what a vision for missions is all about. And I hope it can encourage your heart as it has mine. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your work.